We're in uh, Colossians. Today we're picking up in uh, chapter 2, verse 6. And uh, before we read it, I want to um, give you a little bit of background, remind you where we are in Colossians uh, context. Because two weeks ago we gave the introduction, and it was uh, a really slippery day. And most of you didn't make it that day. Or if you did, you might have already fallen and hurt yourself, so you couldn't pay attention. Um, and so that we just kind of had a little discussion. And then last week, Josh walked us through um, the second part of chapter one. And so this is what's going on. Colossians, if you remember, is the Colossi is this town that's in the Roman Empire, used to be on the main drag. The Romans built a new new road system. And so that was like Route 66 or High Street in Pottstown. It was the place where you don't drive anymore, and people used to drive all the time, and it was this thriving metropolis. Now it's kind of a forgotten, leftover town. One of the things that's awesome about the fact that there's a book of the Bible written to it is that no church is unimportant. No church, no true church following Christ is unimportant. No person, no follower of Christ is unimportant. So important that even though we don't know that Paul ever went to Colossae, that he thought it important enough for them to defend their faith that he was willing to write a letter to them that ended up becoming a book of the Bible, you know, which is awesome. So um, that's the, the context that what was going on was that there's no big treaties here about what the, the church is or what the mission movement of the kingdom of God is. All there is is there's this, there's this doctrine that's being taught there that's kind of leading people away f- subtly, real subtly away from the truth of the gospel and because of that, Paul knows that they're going to get shipwrecked. And what started off as a burning flame in their passion and their relationship with God was going to mess them up through subtle little teaching that was going to get them off base a little bit. And they were going to start thinking wrong. Then they were going to start feeling wrong. Eventually, they were going to start acting wrong. And next thing you know, they were going to be far away from Christ and they weren't going to be living in the full freedom and the joy that Jesus has for them. And so he's checking it. And he's like, bringing, laying foundation for them so that they can stay on track. So then last week... When we got into that, uh, you know, he's saying, I'm going to establish your faith so that you can continue to have hope, so you can continue to live in love. And then he says, this is how. And last week, Josh walked us through uh, this incredible passage about Christ. And if anyone ever asks you, who is Jesus? What's he all about? Or if you're trying to teach someone what Jesus is about, turn to Colossians chapter 1. That's the place to turn to. If you ever want to know who Jesus is and what he's all about, and you want to describe that, if anyone's asking you questions, if people are doubting who Jesus is or his authority or anything, turn to Colossians chapter 1 and just read it. It is probably the quintessential passage on Jesus, on just describing who he is, all his authority, the supremacy of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, who he is. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And that's, Josh walked us through kind of line by line last week with his PowerPoint, these different points about who Jesus was and what, like, he's creator, he's sustainer, he's savior, he's, you know, all of these things that it talks about. And, um, so, uh, that was the passage about Jesus. Now, that brings us up to where we are now. Paul describes, he's like, it's not this, it's not this, it's all Jesus. And when we look at Jesus, we understand he is absolutely everything. Everything holds together because of him. Everything is made because of him. Everything comes back to glorify him. All there is at the end of the day, at the beginning, the alpha, and at the end, the omega, all there actually is is Jesus. That's all there is. And so whatever is outside of Jesus that isn't somehow connected, dependent to, dependent on, or uh, congruent with Jesus that is actually a false reality. It's not just that it's bad. It's that it's a false reality. It's slipping away. It's fading. It's deception of the enemy. Everything that exists, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, all of it, either comes from Jesus or is returning to Jesus or is just wind that's blowing away. That's all there is, okay? And that was the point. So since all of that, now what happens in in this week's uh, passage is Paul, for the first time then, takes that centrality of Christ, the centrality and supremacy of Christ, and he applies it to their situation. And he's basically saying, since this is the case, how does that affect what's going on with you guys in your town and in your church and with these people who are teaching. How, what are the effects of that and how does that affect your life? And so that's what our passage is today. It's the first application of the book of Colossians to the people of Colossae and by proxy to us as well. So that picks up in 
chapter 2, starting in verse 6. And I'm going to have you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read it, please. Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. We've got to stop there for just a second. Did you hear that? In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That means anything that's divine, anything that has to do with God at all, all the godness in the entire universe dwells inside of Jesus bodily. Not only is Jesus God, there is nothing that is remotely God that exists outside of Jesus. Jesus is everything. If anyone ever tells us that Jesus isn't God, not only does this disprove it, it's that if there's any other thing that is remotely referred to as being divine that is outside of Jesus, that is false. There is only Jesus. That's it. He is all God, only God, nothing but, nothing, no other God except him, nothing even remotely like God, okay? I won't stop us like this all the way through. I just needed to stop there. Verse 10. My legs are tired. Well, what do you think it's like for me? <laughs> and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's where everybody's like, yeah! You're going to do that tonight at the game. You might as well do it now in the big game. Verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished, knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human principles and precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Amen? You can have a seat. Let's pray. That's some ripping scripture right there. God, we just ask that this scripture, the truth of Colossians right now, the, the stuff that you had the Apostle Paul write to that church thousands of years ago out there in the forgotten town in Rome, that God, you would bring the truth of your word. You would breathe life into it and it would find its way into our lives and it would hold up a mirror and it would be a surgeon and that that word would, would nuance and precisely cut and reveal the things in our life that would keep us from receiving the fullness of relationship with you. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Guess what my opening illustrations about today yes of course yeah preacher <laughs> so uh tonight there's this game on and our boys wanted to invite some people over like some friends and i said you know it's 
kind of tricky, actually, on Super Bowl Sunday to just invite a kid over because, like, people have plans and families are doing things. And they, they were like, we want And I, I was like, it's kind of like a, a holiday, actually. You know, like, Super Bowl has become like this holiday almost. It's, it's wild. Um, one of the things about the big dance, the Super Bowl, the, the, this game is that um, there's so many pictures that I find when you're watching sports, if you're not a sports person, you're like, oh, sports illustrations. But if you are a sports fan, there's so much that you can learn about uh, Christ and about the, the race that we're in. And Paul uses illustrations along these lines um, at times. And there's this moment when you think about a playoff game and especially a championship game, there's a principle around coaching and around how a team needs to work that is, is very applicable to our passage today. And it's this. Whatever got you to this game is what you need to stick with. Whatever got you here is what you need to stay with. You don't change who you are once you get to the championship game. That is a sure fire way to fail as a team. You got to stick with what you know. You got to do it harder and you got to do it better, but you got to stick with your game. If you're the Patriots, apparently that means you need to cheat really good today. <laughs> I'm rooting for the Patriots. Cheat really well. Cheat really well. Yeah, you get not good. Okay. No, I I shouldn't be saying that in church. Um, David, this moment, you know David's, one of David's amazing Super Bowl moments where he's stuck with his game plan is when he goes to take cheese and bread or whatever to his brother's because they're on the battlefield. And he gets out there and he looks around and he sees all these grown men of Israel who probably all had beards, by the way. And he's, he's looking around at them and there is this giant who's standing on the field and he's mocking them openly and saying, you have nothing and your God is a joke. I challenge you, send anyone out to fight against me. And David's looking around, waiting for his big brothers to step up and do something. Nothing. Waiting for his king to step up and do something. Nothing. And finally, David's like, this is garbage. I will not let my God be defied this way. No way. No way. And so he says, I got this. Let's go. Everybody's like, his brothers are rolling their eyes. They're like, David, always full of himself, whatever. Stay back in the field. You know, that whole thing. Finally, he comes to Saul. Somehow, they actually get this to Saul. And Saul's like, whose kid is this? That's what he says. Whose kid is this? You know? He's like, this is crazy. But then somehow, Saul actually kind of runs with it and goes with it. And he says, here, well, at least take my armor. And so you get the picture of David, like, putting on the armor. And he's carrying the sword. And I always get this picture of him, like, stumbling, trying to hold it up. You know? Like, the armor's too heavy for him. And he, like, can barely lift the sword or something. You know? And this picture of David being like, I can't move in this thing, man. Get it off of me. You know? It's not working. And so finally, he takes it off. And in essence, he says, look, I don't know. Maybe this is your armor. And maybe it does you some good. But if it does any good, why aren't you using it right now? Like, you know, that's your game. You play your game. This is what I know. When the bear came and tried to take my sheep, I killed it. And when the lion came and tried to take my sheep, I used these two things right here, and I killed it. And the reason I killed it is because God told me to take care of these sheep. And when that thing came here to kill them, I said no, because God told me to take care of them, and you're trying to get in here, so no. And God has given these people right here to us as his chosen people. And this big, bad giant's coming, and I'm saying no, and I don't need your armor, and I don't need your sword. What I need is the same thing I needed against that bear, the same thing I needed against that lion. All I need is God. And if I got God, that thing's going to fall. And so he stands up, and you know the phrase, right? He goes face to face, well, knee to face with, with, with this giant, with Goliath. And he says, you are coming against me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin. But I know what got me to this game. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And you will submit and the birds will eat your flesh. Whoa. Those are some big words for a little guy. And he drops him. And he drops him. This is what 
Paul says. Beautiful, beautiful thing. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What was it like the day that you received Jesus? If you had a day, some of us don't like remember a specific day, but if you can remember a day or a period or the attitude in which you had when you first started opening your heart to Jesus, what was that like? Let me, let me guess. It was that you came to Christ and you were like, I got it figured out now, Jesus. I, I understand the doctrine of atonement now. I got, I got it figured out. I understand how predestination and free will work. I have it worked out and no one else could. So I'm coming to you with my doctrine. Are, are we good now? Because I understand. Of course not. Did I come to him saying, I have been struggling with this sin so much, but I finally got a beat. And so now here I am. I can finally come to you in good conscience and say, here I am, God. I got this thing beat. No. Did I come to him saying, before I had no idea, but now I've had all these spiritual experiences that I'm enlightened, and now I can understand who you are, so now we can have a relationship? No. If I can remind you and remind myself of how I came to Jesus, I came to Jesus on my knees, a broken, penitent sinner who had absolutely nothing to offer, and while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me, and I said, I need you desperately. Please, by your grace, Jesus, Fill my heart. Cleanse me of my sin. Come and take over my life. I give whatever you want and whatever is left, as ugly and nasty as it is, I give it over to you because all there is is you. I desperately need you, Jesus. As you came to Jesus, so walk in him. That's the game. That's the game. Super Bowl for us is whatever's in front of us today and the only way to handle it is the same way we handled it at the beginning. On our faces before Jesus saying, I got nothing. I got nothing. See, this is that phrase, because there's this, the whole thing starts off with this one little word, therefore. You know what we always ask ourselves when it's there, right? What do we ask ourselves? What's it there for? It means, therefore, what's it there for? It means I go back, what was all the stuff that said? All things exist by him and for him. He holds it all together. He's the beginning and the end. There is nothing that is not Christ. All there is is Christ. Therefore, when I go to walk through my life, i got to remember how I came to him with him being God and him being amazing and him being grace and him being mercy and him being love and him being the, 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 the propitiation for my sins, him being the sacrifice, the Messiah, him being my Savior. That's what I remember. Therefore, since all of that is true, whatever I'm facing today, I have full, flat-out confidence that we got this. We got this. Not by me. He's got this. He's got this. I'm a broken, messed-up person, and I don't have anything more to offer Jesus today than I did on the day that I came to faith. Nothing more. If there's something in the back of my head that says, well, I'm a little bit better, lies. Lies. So, he talks about that. He kind of Walks that out a little bit. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I want to break down a couple of those words real quick. Rooted. What does it mean to be rooted in Jesus? To be rooted in him. It means that we dig in. That's what rooted means. That we dig in and we hold firm to Take the idea of um, simplicity. Any idea at all. If you take an idea and you kind of toy with it and it's one of the ideas that you informs your life, that's not being rooted in the idea. That's just dealing with the idea. But if you have an idea that you're rooted in, it means that you're reaching into it. You're intertwined with it. You get your nourishment from it and you grow up out of it, okay? Simplicity is like, if I like the idea of simplicity and I'm dealing with the idea of simplicity, that means that when I'm decorating one of the rooms in my house, I try to keep it simple, you know? And, you know, I don't, I don't hang a whole lot or I don't put a whole lot of stuff up. I, I just want to keep it simple. That's the idea of simplicity informing my life to one degree or another. If I am rooted in simplicity, then I'm living on an Amish farm in Lancaster, Okay, that's being rooted in simplicity. Any one of us in this room who says that we live in simplicity, you know, and we look at them, we're like, they are rooted in the idea of simplicity. That's what they're about. 
You know, that's what they're about. They're rooted in it. That when they look to see what their roots are, when they dig deep and you get deep into who they are, that's what they're about. And roots happen because we, when we want nourishment, when we have needs, when we're looking for, for where to find what we need, we dig deep. You know, the, they say that when a tree looks, do, looks dormant on the outside is when there's the most activity happening in a tree because it's reaching deep down into the soil for, uh, for its nourishment. And this is the way it is in our relationship with Christ. If we are to be rooted in Christ in the same way that we came to Christ, where I'm like on my knees and I'm like, I need you, I need you, God, I need you. Please, by your grace, I need you. Being rooted in Christ means that everything in my life, I am digging for Christ. I am digging for him. That I'm just saying, I need you today because I can't love my spouse the way I need to without you. I can't do it. I can't raise my kids the way I need to without you. I can't pay the bills without you. I can't keep my life the way it's supposed to be or my heart in the place it's supposed to be without you. And so we dig in, we entrench. Jesus not only made a way for me, but what I understand when I'm rooted is that when it comes to my life today, Jesus is the only way, not just for me to go into salvation, but Jesus is the only way for me to be centered today. He is the only way for me to get through this day today the way I'm supposed to. If I try to walk through my day alone today, not with Jesus, I will mess it up. Guaranteed. It might not feel like I made any big mistakes today, but I will have not been rooted in Christ today, which is what I'm designed for. If I get to the end of this day and I just kind of floated through it and I wasn't with Jesus and didn't root into him, then I lost it. I missed what it could be. Now, it won't make me more righteous if I was rooted in him, right? But what it's saying is the fullness of life in Christ is found by staying attached rooted, intertwined. The next word is build up. What does it mean to be built up? Look at these blocks on the wall. There's a, there's a foundation, okay? There's a foundation here, the roots, so to speak. But then there's these blocks as we build our lives, block by block by block. There's mortar that holds them together, and they're sit, set on a foundation. And when it comes to our relationship with Christ, it shouldn't stay just at a basic root level. It grows up, and it gets, a, it gets built up, and it's connected, and, and, and it grows into something. And my relationship with Jesus, being built up in Jesus, is kind of like, it, it's one thing to say, oh, there was this person who I liked in high school. It's a whole other thing to say, there was this girl who I fell in love with with high school who I ended up getting married to, and then we had kids together, and then we built a house together, and our lives are built around each other. It's the difference between having some teacher who gave me some information or a book that informed me versus having a mentor, lifelong, who showed me everything in my life. My life got built around them. My, my family, we build up our lives together so that the whole structure of my life is being established around this relation, relationship with Jesus. This isn't, it doesn't say here, notice, it doesn't say be rooted and built up in Christianity. That's not what it says. This isn't being rooted and built up in Christian principles. There was no such thing as Christian principles at this point. All there was was Jesus, the risen Lord. What does it mean to be rooted and built up in Jesus? It means my life. As much as I would never build a house without Jen and I being on the same page about that, I would never think about doing anything in my life unless Jesus and I are on the same page about it. He's my God. Everything exists inside of him. Why would I ever think about building anything in my life that isn't first informed by Jesus? He's my everything. As I came to him, completely dependent on him, so walk in him. Be rooted in him. Dig in, trying to find out where are you, Jesus, and then build my life in relationship with Jesus. If I'm going to build a career, if I'm going to build a house, if I'm going to build a family, if I'm going to build a church, if I'm going to build whatever, I'm only building it in him, in relationship with him. Apart from that, it's wind, it's wind. Established. It says, being established in the faith. It was rooted and built up in him, and then it's established in the faith. Okay, and I love this because if you think about the way we use the word established, if you say someone established a name for themselves, it's like, I know who I am 
right here. Everybody knows who I am. I established a name for myself. For better or for worse, someone establishes a name when they've been defined now. They have been defined by this activity or by this memory or whatever. They've established a name for themselves or a business. That's an established business, an established institution. It's not going anywhere. It's rock solid. We know what it is. There's structure that supports it. That's what it is. Established in the faith means this. It means that it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what my circumstances say. It doesn't matter what's going on around me, that I am firmly established by what I believe, by what I trust. In other words, this is what it means. I am a child of God. I am a child of God today. And there is going to be someone today who's going to disrespect me. They're going to cut me off on the road and act like my two seconds don't matter. Or someone is going to say something to me that's going to um, make me feel bad about myself. They're going to tell me about the, the gray in my beard. Or they're going to tell me how silly I look. And in that moment, there's all sorts of desires inside of us when something doesn't go right, where we question, where we question who we are. Who do, wait, what are you saying about me? You know, what, who do you think you are cutting me off? You know, and there's that reaction because there's a disrespect and that disrespect says something about who I am and you not valuing me. Likewise, when it comes to whether I can handle my own stuff and whether I can pay those bills or whether I'm worried or afraid about what's coming my way or whether I'm going to be lonely, all of those things have an ability to rock my faith. But established faith is this. Established faith is like Jesus says who I am. He already told me who I am. Jesus told me he's taking care of me today. Jesus is with me today. He's not going anywhere. If I feel lonely or I feel rejected or I feel afraid or I feel disrespected, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what anyone says, being established in my faith says, the way I came to you, Jesus, was not by having something of my own. The way I came to you was not offering to you the fact that I had my budget together and I had my theology together. I didn't have any of that. The way I came to you was that I need you and you said, I got you. And the way I'm coming to you today is it doesn't matter what anyone else says and it doesn't matter what I've done or what I haven't done, that I'm going to be established, firmly established today. I'm going to know who I am and not be able to be rocked by the winds of this world because I know by faith, who I am. I am a child of the living God. And there is nothing that can change that because nothing can change you. Anything can change me, but nothing can change you. And the way I'm established is in faith. Over time, as I'm rooted in Christ and as I'm built up and we build life together, then when the winds start to come and the person treats me that way, it's like, yeah, I know. I know, I really do deserve to be dishonored, don't I? I'm a total mess. I'm a mess. But guess what? I'm a child of God. And there's nothing you can do to take that away. And that's who I am. That's who I am. You can disrespect me all you want because I deserve it. On the other hand, I'm not going to feel disrespected. I'm going to feel loved because in faith I've been established. And then it says abounding in love. And uh, I don't know about you, but there are moments... There are things that if I think about in my life and how they've shaped my life, I, I can just never stop being grateful. There's this moment where, um, and some of you have heard this before, but I was going through a deep, deep depression um, when I was uh, at the end of my college, uh, time at college and uh, early out of it. But I had, I had a couple buddies who would wait every night until I went to bed. Um, and that was not an easy job, actually. <laughs> I was up late all the time, but they would wait until I went to bed. And once I went to bed, they would stand outside of my door in my room, and they would pray for me every night. One of them is on staff at this church. <laughs> Won't name names. <laughs> um, but talk about abounding in gratitude. When I look back at my life and realize how God changed me and how he opened up my life in that moment, then I think about everything else that's rooted, built up, and established in my life. And I look back and say, it wouldn't be there. It wouldn't be there if God had not read. That's abounding in gratitude to a person. Think about what it takes for us to be reconciled to God. And picture Jesus clawing up that hill of Calvary, carrying that cross and bleeding it out for us. Abounding in love. 
Why am I here? Why are we here? Why, by God's grace, are we listening to truth of the word of God and actually receiving it today? Why in the world is it that he has transformed me from what I was and making me? This is not by my own merit at all. And if I stop for a second being rooted, built up, and established in Jesus, there is one response. One response. Thank you. Thank you. Now, the, Paul does this awesome thing. He says, since Jesus is everything, continue in him the way you came to him, being rooted, built up, established, abounding in love. And then he says this in verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. And this is what Paul's concern is. This is where the meat of the letter is. The meat of the doctrine, he already spoke. But now the, the critical exhortation to Paul, that Paul's bringing is right here, where he says, all right, it's all Jesus. You came to Jesus without anything. Stay in him that way. Here's the danger. There are people and spirits who want to put chains on your wrists and want to put shackles on your feet and want to wrap bondage around your heart and want to make it hard again. There are people and there are spirits who want to keep you from being free. There are spirits who want to bind you, and there are people who don't like other people being free. And so there is captivity that's waiting for you. Even after you've been awoken to my grace and have walked in Christ, there are things that will lead you astray and will hold you bondage again. And you need to be very, very careful to not be held captive. But he tells us why we can overcome that. It's awesome. It's, it's like incredible. When he gets down to verse 15, he says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So in other words, he says, Whatever it is that would take you captive again, he already removed their ammunition. What's happening is, is that someone wants to take me captive and they're coming into my head and they're pulling out a gun and they're holding it right up to me and he's saying, there's blanks in the gun. There's blanks in it. You're about to get afraid of something that isn't real. The ammunition's been taken. He disarmed them. The demons, the voices in my head, the world around me, the messages, all of that stuff that are going to hold me captive, they're empty. There's no ammo. They're bullets, they're arrows, they're gunpowder. It's all been taken from them. There's nothing there. And the enemy desperately wants you to feel like you're not okay and really wants you to get shifted just a little off of Jesus and deceive you. But all the motivational things that are going to try to get you there are based on something that doesn't have reality underneath of it. He's already disarmed it and he shows us how. He says, first of all, he says, I've forgiven your trespasses. Have you ever had a moment where you were in a dream and whatever was going on in the dream was absolutely horrible, particularly if you did something horrible in the dream? I've had this before. The rest of you are angels, and I'm sure you never have this, but I'm a messed up individual, and so like I've had these dreams at times where I'm like, I cannot believe I just did that, and I'm like freaking out in my dream over the fact that I'm like, what was that? And then I wake up and realize it was all just a dream. And I didn't do it. And I'm like, oh, holy cow, that would have ruined my entire life, you know? He forgave our trespasses. This is exactly what it should feel like. There are regrets that we all have. There are things about ourselves we do not like. There are moments we look back at and we're like, I cannot believe I did that. There is damage that's been done in relationships. There are financial mistakes that I've made. There are sins that I've committed. All that stuff that's back there, when we come to Christ, he disarms it because he forgave our trespasses. And every time the enemy wants to haunt our minds and our hearts with the reality of what we did back there, we can now claim that it's a false reality because we are completely and totally forgiven by Jesus. Wake up from the dream. Wake up from the dream. It is not you. You are forgiven. Secondarily, 
he says that he has canceled the record, that the debt is gone. See, what happened was, is we sold out to the devil. All of us did. Every single one of us decided, we're worshipful beings. you got to worship somebody. you got to worship something. And every time we try to indulge the flesh, that means we listen to the enemy instead of listening to God. And we were like, okay, that sounds good. Let's do that. And as soon as we do, this is a note from Satan. I got you. You owe me. And that's called idolatry. And when we worship idols, idols always come back to bite us. When we give ourselves in ways that we shouldn't, we're saying, you're promising me this. God's promising me that, but whatever. You're promising me this, so I'll subscribe to that, and that thing will always come back to get us. And it owns us. And that's addiction, and that's false agreements with people, and it's relationships built on the wrong stuff, and it's all these records, these debts, these things that we feel like we owe. And this is like, can you imagine, like, if, I, I don't know, if you have a criminal record or if you have uh, someone who's close to you as a criminal record, you know how difficult it can be to move forward in life at times to get the job that you would want or the career that you want. And what he's saying is that whatever your record is, you just went and did a criminal background check on yourself and found out it's a clean slate. There's nothing there. And now when it comes to being rooted and built up, what you thought was impossible because the enemy was like, I got you. You can't do that. I own you. You can't get past that. Remember how you did that back there? I'll make you do that again. Remember who you are? You can't ascend to becoming this. You can't do that. You're this. All that stuff's canceled. It's all canceled. You are one thing. You are a child of God. Nothing else defines you. The rest of it is lies. It's lies. The reality is Christ has not only forgiven you of your trespasses so you don't have to carry shame, he's also canceled your debt so there's actually no legitimate guilt. It's all gone. No shame in the way I'm seen, no guilt in the way God judges me. It's all been taken care of. He disarmed the enemy. He disarmed the lies. And then he says he nailed it to the cross, which is all about our identity. It's all about who we actually are. It means that we were slaves to Satan in our own old identity and who we saw ourselves before. He nailed it to a cross. We don't even exist anymore. He says, the fourth thing is he says this, I made you, he made us alive in him. And so we have a whole new life, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. We, the, the analogy that we most often work with, the biblical analogy we most often work with when it comes to having a relationship with Jesus is that Jesus comes in and indwells us, and he does. He comes and dwells in us. The one that we don't use enough is that we dwell in Jesus. And the scriptures actually in the New Testament refer to us dwelling in Jesus a whole lot more than Jesus dwelling in us. And most of the time when it talks about Jesus dwelling in us, it talks about Jesus dwelling in corporate us. So like among us. Jesus dwells among us. He apportions himself to each of us. And he puts his spirit among us. And together there's an embodiment of Jesus. But that's because we dwell in inside of Jesus. Jesus is the reality. We only exist as one little portion inside of Jesus, which means I'm made alive inside of him. It's not like I'm still Tim and Jesus comes in and puts a little light in the, in the house of Tim and there's a little, a little window where you can see some light in there. No, 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 no. It's that I don't exist anymore, which is why Satan has no claim over my life. I died and when I rose up, I'm living in the Jesus. Like that's, I'm inside of him. It's the kingdom of Jesus is the presence of Jesus. I exist inside of the person of Jesus. Try taking a shot at me now. I exist inside of Jesus. Outside of Christ, there is no Tim. All I am is like one little part of a finger of Jesus or something. That's it. I'm in Christ. I am established in him. And there is no accusation. There is no threat. There is no enemy. He has put to shame the enemies and the rulers, and he's disarmed them publicly and put them to shame. And he stares at Satan, and he stares at the rulers, and he stares at the authorities, and he stares at the thoughts in our heads, the accusations in our heads, and he says, you got nothing. Absolutely nothing. You gave me your best shot. You put me in a grave. And when I came awake, I brought all them awake with me, and they exist inside of me, inside of me. So come and get it. You know, come and get it. See what you got. And there's nothing. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. So there's one more big therefore, 
Okay, so if all that is true, then there's one more big therefore, and it's down here in verse 16. Listen, verse 16. Therefore, since there's him and he's disarmed the enemy and we can be built up and come to him just broken and repentant, we don't have to prove anything. Since that's true, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is so sweet what Paul's saying. It's funny because when you hear someone coming and warring against false doctrine, the feeling is like, oh no, the prophet's coming. I'm going to have to get my stuff in order, you know, and I'm going to have to work harder to live right. And basically what Paul's saying is right here is he said, I am sick and tired of people trying to tell you that if you live a little better, you'll be a little better. And if you know a little more than you'll be, he said, you need to take that stuff and you need to stuff it back where it belongs. And you need to say, I came to Christ without anything and I live in Christ without anything. So anytime someone's going to judge you based on you're eating this or you're drinking this or you're doing this Sabbath or you're going here and all this, like you're observing this or you're doing this amount of church work or anything, he's like, all that is complete and total garbage when it comes to your legitimacy in Christ. If you feel more or less legitimate based on how you're living, what you know, what experiences you have, if you feel more or less legitimate based on any of that, that is a lie. That's been disarmed. It no longer exists. This is a very difficult thing for Christians to get our heads wrapped around and much more difficult to get our hearts wrapped around. There is such a sense in religious culture that, of course, we couldn't have a relationship with God if it wasn't by grace. But then once I got there, well, I better man up because that's what he got me here. So in gratitude, I better man up. And if I don't, I'm going to feel ashamed. And now I can start to feel shame for not living a certain way, even though the only way I came to Christ was by his grace as a broken penitent sinner. Don't get me wrong. When we live to indulge the flesh, we disconnect with Christ. We disconnect with his grace because what ends up happening is instead of digging my roots into Jesus for nourishment in him, instead I start going back here and digging my roots into other stuff. And then I let that be my God again. You know, and I'm like, satisfy me, satisfy me. But the problem is, is in that moment, the biggest problem isn't just that I've rooted myself in this false stuff. It's that I start thinking that's my nourishment. And then I start feeling the shame of like, this is who I am and God doesn't want me anymore. or I'm not a good Christian. And it's like, What? Don't you remember when you came to Christ? You had nothing. I don't care if you messed up today. Would you think that like after you came to me and had a relationship with me, that the next day you were going to wake up and never sin again and not going to need my grace? Like the whole point now is it's you never, ever, ever get past the gospel. The gospel isn't what gets us into the kingdom and then our hard work makes us live in the kingdom. Everyday life for a Christian is gospel life. That's it. All there is is gospel. That's it. Good news. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. That's the only reason I live. That's it. Gospel life. Okay, and that's the disarming of all the rulers and the, and the powers. And what's happening here in Colossae is um, clearly there's, there's kind of the religious people who are coming in and knowledge and experiences and regulations of how I live are the big things that are being used as like trying to get people to, instead of leaning into the grace of God, to get human-focused again. So, in other words, somebody's coming in and saying, yeah, well, um, you're eating this stuff and drinking this stuff, but I'm kind of like the Nazarite. Like, I just eat locust and honey. So, you know, I only have organic food. So you don't take care of your temple, you know. Um, I take care of mine. So, um, I, I, yeah, you're probably saved or whatever, but... I'm at least this much better than you, you know? Um, And that's what's being preached in that moment. And what Paul, basically, when it comes to what you eat and what you drink, there is, first of all, immorality. There are things the Bible does say. It says, don't be a glutton and don't be a drunkard, right? So if you stuff your face all the time, well, it's immorality. It doesn't make you more righteous if you stop doing that, but it's actually sin, you know? And if if I'm going and getting blitzed, that's actually sin, you know? That, that's clear. Then there's the other thing, which isn't just immorality, it's idolatry. And that's when I use those things 
for the sake of providing something that God would provide. So if I'm using food or alcohol to compensate for things that God wants to provide in my life, then I'm using them inappropriately. And therefore, I'm using them as compensation. They're idols. They're taking the place of God. And then there's the other thing, which is straight up wisdom, which says, I love the community and I love God. And I want to make sure that when it comes to what I eat and what I drink, that I do it all for the glory of God. And so my focus is on God. My focus is not on what I eat and what I drink or what I don't eat or what I don't drink. My focus is never on, am I righteous? Because there is these boundaries that God established and my desire is to live within the boundaries of God. And him setting me free is helping me to live in the obedient way that he calls me to live. But if I think, here's what the Bible says about obedience, and if I knock it up just a notch, I'm a little more righteous. You know what that makes us? Pharisees. That's what it makes us. Biggest enemy of Jesus is never the immoral. It's the self-righteous. The biggest danger for most Christians is not firstly immorality. It's firstly self-righteousness. The danger to the church of Colossians, what it is that Paul is addressing right now, is he's like the subtleties of self-righteousness that creep through your doctrine. They just subtly come in. They're sneaking in all under the guise of Christian doctrine. And it's saying, well, this is what the law says. So if you are good at that, then you can feel good about yourself. Lies. Lies. There is only one thing that allows me to feel good about myself. Bam! Cross. Resurrection. In Jesus. As soon as I shift to judging myself based on my behavior or my knowledge or my doctrine or those things, I will find that they become completely ineffective at keeping me from self-indulgence, which is how it ends. It's because now I'm back on human effort, trying to live in human ways to take care of things that the law already showed we can't handle. And this is the only way that you ever get past this stuff is when you just rest in Jesus, enjoy your relationship with Christ, focus on Jesus, make it all about Jesus, Jesus, and the more you make it all about Jesus, the more you will find that you actually want to be obedient to Jesus because you find that he not only exists, but is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him, and that my life will be so much better if I live in obedience to Christ. So instead of asking, how hardcore am I? How much can I give up for Jesus? We used to have this thing at, at Bible college. This is like par for the, I mean, Bible college is ripe. You know, it's ripe environment, young, aspiring religious people, you know, where there's always like this sense of who can outdo each other in righteousness or in knowledge. And you have these like brutal theological debates in the dorm room. And you always have this guy like, I'm not getting married. I'm going to be one of those eunuchs who's like great for the kingdom of God. You know, all these, there, he's like, yeah, right. I'll see you in a year. And so there, there's this sense of like always trying to prove that we are something. We are more hardcore for God. And God mocks us our righteousness and he puts it on public display and he makes a mockery of it and says there are none righteous no not one your righteousness is as filthy rags to me don't come to me with your doctrine and act like you have it all figured out don't come to me with your righteousness and act like you are wholly apart from me don't come to me with your spiritual experiences and say you have a vision that understands it all don't come to me with any of that come to me on your knees broken saying I need the king of kings the lord of lords the savior the creator the alpha and omega I got nothing I need you I needed you the day I came to you I need you today I got nothing in my life if I don't come to you a broken sinner in need of a Savior today, that's the gospel, that's what we needed back then, is what we need today. Right? Just Jesus. Only Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. All we got is just Jesus. All right. Stand with me. We're going to read our statement about Jesus that we're reading throughout this series. We're going to read it together. I want to, we're going to read it nice and slow because I want you to meditate on the words, but see if you have the ability to both kind of meditate on the words, but also put your heart where the words are. Jesus, the creator who was before all, the anointed one who was hoped for, the light of the world, the teacher who was truth, the lamb who was slain, the warrior who will win, the king who has come, Jesus, 
He was born of a virgin. He taught the people. He was killed on a cross, buried with the dead, and is risen. He is eternally alive. Say it. Jesus, he created everything and holds it all together by the power of his word. Come on. His shed blood ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. To Jesus is due all power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. Father God, we come to you right now recognizing one thing. We only exist by you, and we only exist for you. That freedom that you've created, the unshackling, the gospel that breaks the chains, it's so amazing how I find in my own heart the fear of the gospel. And what if we actually believe the truth of that level of forgiveness? Won't we just run after complete and total self-indulgence and have no checks and no boundaries? Like, how could we possibly do that? (laughs) Oh, man, there's no way for us to actually remember or to know what that's like until we experience the fullness of grace. And when we've experienced it, we realize there's no place I'd rather be. No place I want to be than right smack dab in the middle of your will. We love you, Jesus. You are not uncool. Jesus, you are not unfun. Jesus, you are not the one who wants to lead us into despair. You're not the one who wants to make our life difficult because you're some maniacal God. None of that. You are goodness. You are truth. You are life. You are vitality. You're a father who loves, a friend who cares, a savior who dies. You do whatever it takes in order to restore us to the fullness of joy, to the peace that passes understanding, to the life we were meant to live, full of love, full of vitality, breathing out fruits of the Spirit. Protect us, each one of us, Jesus, from those lies of the enemy. I know today that I am guilty. I know today that I am so weak and so susceptible to being led astray by those subtle little things that the enemy wants to say to me. All of us here, God, we live in this battle. We live in this war. But we are not held by our strength or even by our own faith. We are held in the hands of the living God. We are bought by the blood of Jesus. We are redeemed by your flesh broken for us. And so we stand today established, rooted, built up, abounding in love because of you. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus.